coming off the back of a little hiatus because we've been all holiday. very busy, aren't we? And yeah. holiday. Well, I was just going to say we was busy, but you know. <laughs> um, Have you done a few podcasts before? You're, you're a pro, aren't you? Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm a pro, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out, I'm sure. Welcome to the podcast, Gary King. Welcome. Hi. Thank, thanks for coming on board. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, do you want to just give us a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, I run two businesses. The first one's called Tendo, and that largely works with high-growth small business owners, helping them develop a business plan because most don't have a plan, and therefore they're drifting, and then help them with business mentoring to deliver that plan. Okay. Uh, so that's the kind of core of what I do. And then I identified about seven years ago, a lot of small businesses investing heavily in tactical marketing that weren't necessarily delivering results. And what I realized that they didn't have a marketing plan that was telling them what tactics to use and when. So I set up a marketing consultancy called ThinkSmart. Excellent. And it's the same target market, but the idea is once a business owner's got their plan together and they're going in the right direction, often what then comes out is I'm not generating enough leads with the right type of clients. Yeah. How do I do that? So we go, right, you need a plan, a marketing plan. And that's at the, the kind of SME end of the market. Is that right? Typi- typically, yeah. So typically the clients that we work with are about half a million turnover to about four or five million. Largely, okay. we've got some larger. We've got 20-odd million turnover client in the marketing business. Okay. And we do work with some smaller businesses where it's more about attitude than turnover. Mm. But the, the sweet spot's half a million to four million typically. Okay, good stuff. All right, and... I want to kind of dive into a bit of your story, really, because I've yeah. done a bit of research with you beforehand. Um, so you've got you've got quite an interesting backstory. Can you just give us a bit of an overview of what that is? Yeah, I mean, if I, if I give you the quick quick synopsis, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I left school. Uh, but my dad was an engineer, and he always seemed to have a successful career. And we lived near Barnbow. They kind of made tanks for the MOD, mm. and they they opened up an apprenticeship program. So I thought, you know, what, I'll give that a go. Mm. And I went down, and I wasn't successful. And I thought, well, engineering's probably as good as any. <laughs> So I went to engineering school for two years, like a like a like one of these apprenticeship schemes. And at the end of it, they gave me a work placement to a manufacturing business in Leeds, uh, which was 40 million turnover, 600 odd staff. And at the end of that, they offered me a job as a management apprentice. Excellent. And I'd spent 14 years there. And I started off as a T-boy right through to uh, sitting on the board, running various departments. And I... The, the MDs were in the mid-50s, and I just saw the business flatline a little bit. I thought it had so much more potential. So I went to 3i. They were a private equity firm mm. going back. I went to 3i, and I put my mortgage on the line, and they lent me some money. Wow. And I walked into the boardroom and said, I want to buy the business and put a check for a, uh, an eye-watering amount of money on the table. And they said, uh, we're not quite ready to sell. Uh, you've just made your position untenable. <laughs> uh, and I left within a couple of weeks. Really? Uh, so that was, but that was my real kind of first foray into wanting to do something bigger and better for the mm. organisation I work for. Uh, I had a stepping stone, so they were number one in the market. I had a stepping stone to number two, but that didn't quite work. There were, it was, it was the recession at the end of the late eighties, early nineties. Um, I was, I was kind of quite expensive, and I was, I was kind of lasting first out, mm. uh, ruffling too many feathers, even though that's the job they wanted me to do. So. I then finished up working for a, a FTSE 100 PLC business called IMI. They'd been divested out of ICI in the war, so they were the metals division of ICI. Mm. Um, very well respected on, on the FTSE 100. And I, I finished up working in their businesses that were the smaller end of the portfolio. So the 3 million, 5 million, 10 million type businesses that were not important enough to, to compared to some of the big businesses they had you know this was a two billion turnover business mm, you know yeah. they had 300 400 million turnover businesses but these small businesses were potentially very profitable but they weren't they weren't getting the attention so they'd parachute me in using all the experience i gained through my career to i was restructuring departments restructuring businesses parachuting me in to really do that and are you, are you what's your kind of domain expertise i guess within your career are you kind of a marketeer or you're a finance guy or you got Good question. A I'm a sales guy first yeah. and foremost. I've have got the qualifications. I've been to Cranfield Uni and I've got yeah, the certificate. Yeah. I've got all of those kind of things. But what I have done 
as a result of what I learned through the latter years at that manufacturing business where I wanted to acquire the business and I was running product development, customer mm. service, marketing. I started to get a rounded business experience. Yeah, yeah. And then when I went into the corporate business where they were saying, look, we've got a five million turn of a business here that's losing a million quid a year. Can mm. we parachute you in just to get it sorted? So then you've got to turn your hand to manufacturing, procurement. Yeah. So I've, I've almost become well-rounded but if you if you was going to pin my hat on anything, it would be sales and marketing. Okay, all right. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no. So, um, so I I finished up going into those businesses that were either losing money or they, they weren't making enough money. And of course, the first thing you do is you sort out a strategy, a plan. Mm. Uh, then you sort the team out to make sure you got a team in place to be able to deliver that plan. You then sort the finances out to understand how you're going to get from the financial position you're into mm. the financial position you want to be in, and. You know, that could take anywhere between three months and 18 months, depending on the state of the business. Mm. At that point, somebody else needs to come in and run the leg, the, ne the next leg of the relay. So we've got the plan, we've got the finances in place, we've got the team in place. That's my restructuring job done. Mm. Usually at that point, it's profitable. Somebody else would then come in to run the second leg of the relay to take it on to the next level. And I would then get parachuted into the next business. Yep. And I essentially, bar a few other roles, I was kind of sales director, key account director, did one or two other things. That's largely what I was doing for the majority of the nine years I was there. Okay. And then after that, when, at what point did you go? So two, two, basically 2010. Uh, so I'd worked for this business for nine years. And in that nine years, we had six changes of who I was reporting into. Yeah. And, and in the corporate world, it's a numbers game, isn't it? You know, if you don't hit your numbers quarter on quarter, they just bring somebody else in that promises they can deliver the numbers. And every time a new boss came in, I had to reprove myself, I had to reset all the switches, and I just got bored of it. Mm. And this one guy came in, uh, you know, I was running this very successful business unit. We turned it around from, you know, 8 million turnover, losing a million, to 12 and a half, 13 million, making a million. Mm. So pretty good turnaround in fortunes yeah. within a couple of years. Yeah. And the new guy came in and he just said, look, I'm thinking of restructuring. Uh, I'm not sure your role's right for this organization. And I said, make me an offer I can't refuse. And a bit to and fro in two weeks later, I left the business with an envelope in my back pocket and I never looked back. Wow. And that was September. So it's September tomorrow, obviously. Yeah. That's September 2010. So 13 years, pretty much. Okay. About uh, a couple of weeks. And at that point you thought, I'm going to paddle my own canoe at this point. Well, I'd, I guess what I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd been working for other people for 24 years. Mm. And whereas I'd learned a hell of a lot and I had a lot of respect for the people I'd worked for, I always had this kind of, I wasn't in control of my own destiny. My dad was a serial entrepreneur. Mm. Was he the most successful serial entrepreneur? Probably not. So it's at that point I'm thinking, can I be in charge of my own destiny? Do I want to be reporting into other people yeah, and yeah. making decisions that I often didn't agree mm. with, that I had to kind of go with? And if you remember 2010, we're also in a recession. Mm. So I seem to have kind of bounced from recession to this. <laughs> so in 2010, I'm thinking, do I set up a business to help other small businesses that are struggling? And everybody said, you must be nuts setting up a consulting business in the middle of a recession. Mm. Yeah. My view was, when's the best time to set up a consulting business? Yeah, yeah. When people need it? Yeah. Mm. Now, it, it came about by chance, to be fair. So we'd had a conversation with a, with a competitor that were based in Italy that wanted to get into the UK market. We had some gaps in our portfolio. So we'd had a conversation with this competitor to supply those products that we could then brand our name yep. to, to supply those to the market. And that, that saved us tens of thousands of pounds on product development, saved us months and months of product development. Mm. And I put this white paper to the board and they said, no, we don't really want to uh, collaborate with a competitor. And I said, that's fine, that's your decision. Mm. But I was connected to this guy on mm. uh, social media. So I'd left on the Friday. I'm sat there on Facebook, minding me on business on the Sunday night. And this guy messages me, hey, hey, Gary, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Da, 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 da. He says, oh, how, how's work? And I went, well, I ain't kind of got any. He says, what do you mean? I says, well, I've left. And I went, oh, uh, what are you doing now in, t in terms of work? I mm. said, well, I've got a few options. I'm not really certain what I want to do. And he said, well, we still want to get into the UK market. He said, you know the customers. Mm. Uh, you're on the patch. You know the products, you know the market. Would you would you represent us potentially in the UK? I'd like to fly you over to Italy next week, all expenses paid, and see if we can chat about working together. 
So I'm thinking first week, like, he's going to fly me out to Italy for five days, all expenses paid. Like, Get me a ticket booked. <laughs> Fast forward five days, I'm, you know, sat at this beachside bar mm. uh, in Rimini in Italy, kind of just being wined and dined. And he said, look, I, I want you to work for us on the patch. And we agreed a retainer. Mm. Said, I just want you to do a handful of days a month and sent me packing with a brochure and a business card and an email address. So would you say that was the early seeds of that, what you'd go on to that, do? That was the first one. So that that was literally that first week. I left on the 10th of September. That was the week after my business was registered on the 22nd. It literally happened that Don't quick. mess about, do you? No. Even this <laughs> thing of like walking into the board with a check and just being like, I'm buying it. I yeah, like yeah, it. That's amazing. It's but, like a go-getter attitude. What's the, what's the point? You know, you, you know, you, to say life's life's too short actually life isn't too short it's the longest thing you'll ever experience mm. so for me it's yeah. not the amount of days in your life it's the amount of life in your days yeah yeah yeah, yeah I like that yeah mm. so when somebody gives you an opportunity i thought do you know what what's the worst that can happen mm. give it a go it fails i'm no worse off than i was yesterday mm. so you know i signed this deal with him comes yeah. back to the uk yeah and i'm thinking right okay there's there's a business opportunity for yeah me. and did that steer what you did for the rest of all or for the beginning of your consulting career did you have a path that you were going to go down or did that steer no it? i didn't that did, the path just opened up yeah and, and it changed mm-hmm. and, I, and it, this is something i advocate with clients so i was doing interim sales so if you can imagine you know you're running a small business mm. you you're probably wanting to sell you need to sell you need to, you know every business needs to sell but as a business owner you you're hiring you're firing you're networking you're dealing with finances, you're dealing with staff issues, you've mm. run out of tea bags, the rent's due, mm. the banking need. There's a thousand things to do. And you get to the end of the week and go, oh, I've not done sales again. Mm. And actually, the reality is for a majority of small business owners, they're not trained in sales. No. So they shy away from it. Yeah. They hate the concept of sales. They hate being knocked back. They hate they hate being told no. Yeah, and yeah. So they almost put this barrier up. Mm. So I'm looking at it going, there's a bunch of small business owners here that could do with somebody that's got 15 years of experience, that's got the qualifications, that's that's got the the results. Mm. I can just parachute in for yeah. one, two, three, four days a month, act as their interim sales director, go out and get them some results, and they can stop worrying about sales because I'll do it for them. And that's kind of the path I took. Yeah, yeah. But I have no intention of doing that. Mm. How do you practically do that? So if you if you land on a, a client site for however many days a month, what yeah. what are you doing? Are you pick, picking the other pages up and picking a phone up and starting ringing, or what? What's your approach? yeah? I mean, what you've got to do if you I finish up working with about four or five clients at once, and some mm. some were two days a week. I had one client that was two days a week, mm. and those that were one day a month. So you've got to segment your diary. The challenge you've got with that is, let's say I ring a potential prospect on a Monday because I'm only doing Mondays with this mm. client. Yeah. And the guy says, look, I, I can't take your call today, but I'm desperate to speak to you. Can you ring me tomorrow? Mm. I'm thinking, well, now I'm working for this other company tomorrow. Mm. I can ring you next Monday because I've got... So you finish up having to be really flexible with yeah. your diary. Yeah. But essentially, part of the fact-finding mission, and this is this is almost the first step into the strategy piece, the reason that most of those business owners weren't selling is because they weren't finding the time to get to the top of the list of, of priorities. Mm. The second reason they weren't selling is they had no bloody clue how to sell. <laughs> so they were selling the wrong things at the wrong time to wrong people at the wrong price. Mm. So my first part of it was to say, right, okay, I can go and sell this widget for you. Who's your target client? And we spent time with them really understanding what that avatar or that ideal client type is. Who's your avatar? Where do they hang out? Are they online? Do they go networking? Um, mm. How old are they? How qualified? You know, all of those questions. Most of the time, they're looking at me with a with a blank look. It's because so, they don't. They just don't even know themselves. They don't know. They've never thought about it because they've scattergunned. Yeah. What they've done is they've gone. We've got a great product. I'm just going to fire this out to everybody and yeah. see what sticks. Yeah. And then of course nothing does stick mm. because it's too diluted, mm. and that's why sales is isn't working for them. So they go, I'm not very good at sales. Well, that's they are. They're just not very good at selling to everybody that isn't yeah. interested. Yeah. Mm. So if you develop that that kind of ideal customer type, then you say, right, okay, what's the proposition for the product? Why should why should somebody buy from you and not from your competition? What's the unique features? What are mm. the benefits that they deliver? All right, okay. What's the pricing proposition? What ROI does it deliver? So you spend time developing those elements of the sales and marketing strategy. Yeah, yeah. And they go, right, I now know who the customer is, what the product is, what the price is, what the what the proposition is. Um, and now I know what the ideal customer type is. It's then a LinkedIn exercise or it's a, not quite yellow pages, but obviously the mm. modern day version, you know, 
if I'm if I'm selling um one of the products that we had was a really innovative uh, grill that mm-hmm. goes in restaurants, but it was using technology from the space shuttle that wow, basically cool. vaporized the fat. So the, the fat got vaporized to go back into the meat to make it tender. But because it vaporized the fat, it didn't need cleaning. Mm. It didn't need training. So there's a whole host of benefits there from a health and safety point of view and a training point of view. But he was selling that into gastro pubs. That, mm. that we're, we're prepared to pay a premium mm. for this kind of product. So, yeah. Of course, it's not beyond the wit of man to go into Google and say, you know, give me a list of all gastro pubs in West Yorkshire or in Gloucestershire. And then, you know, you start at Aardvark and work your way down to, <laughs> to Zodiac. Yeah. And you just, you, you know, you're either on email or you pick the phone up or you're on LinkedIn and you're going, I've got this great product. Can I come in and chat to you? And, it, and is, your, is your goal to sort of like sort of provide them with the tools and upskill them so eventually they're doing it themselves and you're kind of oh, oh, yeah great question ultimately in that scenario i want them to be self-sufficient because i'm only i'm only a temporary measure if i can teach them these are the fundamentals that you need in terms of the sales strategy avatar proposition yeah and then we can start to generate some leads for them mm. we can then say right you've now got all the tools that will enable you to sell yeah and therefore it becomes easier because you can now sell. Hi guys, just jumping in. I want to talk about one of the services we offer, which is robotic process automation, also known as RPA. That is software that replicates human behavior. So if you've got people downloading spreadsheets, attaching them to emails, going on portals, downloading information, moving data around, all that stuff is perfect for a robot. So if that's interesting, get in touch. Let's have a chat. Let's see if we can help. Enough from me. Back to the conversation. Do you think sales is underappreciated as a as an art form, if you like, in, I think it's, in industry? Yeah, I think I think people think they can sell when they haven't got a clue how to sell, and mm. therefore they make a bit of a hash of it. Mm. Absolutely. What do you, What do you think good selling looks like? Um, great question. I think good selling is having a great process to follow to weed out the good, the bad, and the indifferent. Mm. I think good selling is listening because bad salespeople fill spaces in conversations mm. that are potentially awkward by saying something they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And and I hate that old adage about two ears, one mouth, because I think the ratio is more like four or five to one, not mm. two to one. Yeah, it's yeah. a good point. But a, a very wise man, and I can't remember it was, once said, Whatever you're speaking, you're not learning anything new. Whatever you're, whatever I'm speaking, you're learning mm. about what I'm saying. So mm. a good salesperson is about listening, asking clever questions, and having a process that they follow through. Yeah. And at the end of it, what a good salesman should be doing is having the person sort of opposite them buying rather than them selling. If you're mm. having to convince somebody to buy, you're missing a trick. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Whereas for me, if you're on the other side of the table, I want what you've got. When can we get started? Mm. I'm going, oh, well, you know, um, yeah, that's fine. So it's getting them to buy rather than you sell. Yeah. It's a very kind of subtle difference. Yeah, I think that's mm. most people who I've had who are good at sales, the one key thing that they always say is you need to be good at listening. Mm. That seems to be quite a common occurrence. And this thing of like not filling the silence as well. When I first met Rob's dad, it, we were chatting. And obviously, he's, you know, original sales guy for Spectrum, right? Like 40 years ago. And we were chatting. And I noticed that like, he would just like pause. And I'd like awkwardly want to fill the gap. And afterwards I was thinking, it was interesting like the way he was pausing. And I was chatting to someone who was like, yeah, but he's a sales guy. And so it's like, it's it's natural for him to just Mm. kind of be comfortable in, in that silence. And me as the buyer, if you like, then feels like, oh, but I need to say something else. And then probably start to give certain things away if you are a salesperson and a buyer. So that's really interesting. One of the one of the um, big things that we, the big reasons that we do this podcast is that, you know, we want to just share knowledge and insight from different people in the business world to our listeners and to our staff as well. A lot of people that listen to the podcast. So like you sound like quite a canny sort of guy and quite ambitious and you see an opportunity and you go for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm still captivated by this throwing a checkout on the desk because most people w- wouldn't have no, the to do yeah. such a thing. So do you think that plays a big role uh, a big role in like why you've been successful and can you kind of maybe advise on other people, you know, that are starting out in their career, like how to know what 
they what they what they want to do and how to achieve their goals and and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I think there's two elements to that. I think one element is don't be afraid to change direction. You know, but like I said, I, I went into interim sales and 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 just to kind of follow on from the story earlier, what I realised once I'd done that for a couple of years and I was you know I was I was reasonably good at it, is that for most of the businesses that I was doing that interim sales role for, it wasn't delivering the results they expected. And it's largely because there was something fundamentally wrong with that with that underlying sales strategy. I'd done some surface stuff around proposition and avatar, mm. but you know the fundamental strategy was wrong. So I t- started to take a step back to go, right, with my experience, let's develop a sales and marketing strategy for your business and for your product. And we develop the strategy that stick it in a drawer because that's mm. what people do and they get yeah. back to doing the day job. And the amount of businesses I walk into and they say, I've got a strategy. And I say, well, you know, shows your strategy. When was the last time you looked at it? And they dust it off. You know, it's sat on a shelf. They dust it off. And they say, well, I looked at it nine months ago. Yeah. Um, mm. So that's when I started getting into, well, not only do you need the plan, what you do need now is somebody to hold you to account to implement that plan on a monthly basis, which is where the mentoring comes yeah, in. So that's, sure. how I, yeah. that's how I kind of transitioned, if yeah. you like. That's so, like your selling point. Yeah, so so don't be afraid to go from, you know, interim sales into business strategy and business mentoring because the path just takes you there. And then the second piece, which is the reason I did that, which is the other answer to your question is, I think the successful entrepreneurs out there are ones that that see a problem and they go, I can solve that problem. Yeah. And I can solve it differently to what exists out there. So I'll give you an example of, of a guy that I worked with a number of years ago. He was a digital marketing expert, so web SEO, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was actually his accountant that went to him and said, there's loads of people out there want to pass a driving test, but they want to pass it quickly because yeah. they, be, they want to be driving like tomorrow. Yeah. I want to pass a driving test in a year because they want to be mobile, they want to be independent. Mm. So he looked at the market and realized that this, 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 they used to, I think they used to call them, um, sp- was it it's speed driving or was it, was it? Is this the crash course? Crash course, that's yeah. it. It wasn't speed, right? It was crash. They call it a crash course. It was quite ironic. Um, so <laughs> yeah. what he did is he set up a, an affiliate marketing site right. called Pass Me Fast. And anybody, and he because he did his, his SEO and his pay-per-click, anybody that Googled uh, crash course, speed course, anybody that Googled all of these search terms within the Greater Manchester area landed on his website. Mm. And of course, they went on and it was like, the, you know, there's a, a six session, a nine session, a 12, whatever. So he had all the different modules. Now, what he'd done is he'd realized that there was a load of driving instructors out there that were great at driving, but they were poor at sales and marketing. So they're not full half the time. Mm. So he spoke to all these driving instructors and said, look, I can fill your diary. Mm. How much do you charge an hour? 35 quid. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll fill your diary at 30 quid. Mm. Uh, and I'll give you 10 sessions at a time. How does that work? So all of a sudden, they've got somebody doing sales and marketing. Mm. So he's built this affiliate site. All of these people are coming onto his site. It, there's a booking fee. He takes the booking fee, yeah, yeah. and then he takes a percentage, a cut of the ten drive. So he, let's say it's fiver per lesson. Yeah. He then takes a fiver per lesson. So he solved a problem for the driving instructors that don't have a full diary. Yeah. And he solved a problem for the people wanting a crash course, not knowing where to go. And of course, he's solved the problem by taking a booking fee, mm. and then taking a commission. Now. He sold that business less than two years into it, uh, and it was an eye-watering amount of money. Yeah, because somebody's gone. Wow, that's genius! I can roll that out across the entire country. Now, I he rang me two weeks ago and said, "I've got this new idea, and it's all about mental health training." And I'm going, "That's got nothing at all to do with driving mm. instructors or web development." Because no, but there's a gap in the market. Everybody's talking about mental health. Mm. And everybody's providing training, but nobody's measuring the success of a mental health training mm-hmm. in terms of. And he's just this guy's a genius. So, so the good entrepreneurs are the ones that see a gap, and rather than just ignore it, go, "I can solve that problem, and I can solve it different to everybody else out there." But you, I, how would you have the, like the the nerve, or how would you overcome the self doubt then? Because, like for example, you're if you know, perhaps not now, but when you started out, you're go, you're being parachuted into companies mm-hmm. to turn things around. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. So like, there's got to be some level of imposter syndrome, some self doubt, thinking, well, what if I actually can't turn this around? Yeah, do you know what? That's a great question. Have I? Can I sit here saying I've never suffered from imposter syndrome? No, I, I can't because mm. I have. But I think 
part of my character and, and that, that kind of in those internal values and how I'm wired up. And part of that is entrepreneurial parents and being surrounded by entrepreneurial people and the, just the natural confidence I have from doing what I do. When, when I see that imposter syndrome kind of kick in, I just go, ah, and I almost push it to one side. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was talking with a client yesterday who's grown a very, very successful business. He'll, he'll hit six million this year at the end of his third year. And that's an incredible business. Mm. Um, from a guy that, by his own admission, not the not the kind of cleverest guy in his market, but is the hardest working, is the most innovative. And and we were talk, talking about this, the difference between the three percenters and the ninety-seven percenters. Right. There's ninety-seven percent of people in life, whether you're talking gym, whether you're talking business, whatever sphere of life you're in, yeah, will sit back and not put the effort in, not do the extra yards, not work past five o'clock, you know, and criticize those that are. Mm like the play victim yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and unfortunately some of those 97% because that's how they're wired up and it's how they go about it will will see the imposter syndrome button kick in or the self-destruct button and they'll go Bang, yeah. And it. yeah whereas for me I'm fortunate enough with how I'm wired up and the confidence that I've had through having you know and being surrounded by entrepreneurial people to just be able to push that to one side yeah. and I know it's not about being arrogant it's about knowing if I go for something and it doesn't work I've actually learned from it failing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so at least you know as well because yeah. you went for it. But but it, it's the old adage, isn't it? It's better to have tried and failed mm-hmm. than not tried at all. Now, yeah. I've got a business failure behind me. I've got a business that I've also closed down because it just come to a natural end and I'm running two now. Mm. So the business that, that failed, I learned so much. I probably learned more in that process than yeah. I've done in the other businesses that I was that a consultancy business as well or was that a different business so it was it was very similar to tendo so the 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 challenge with tendo if you like is that it's me delivering yeah and so therefore there is a limit on how many hours i can work per week and how much i can charge per hour Mm -hmm. so therefore there's a limit on my income and of course if i'm laying on a beach somewhere i'm I'm essentially not earning money so the idea was if i could franchise what i was doing and i could find other people that have maybe sold their business and they're going, what do I do next? A bit mm. like I was 13 years ago. Yeah. I go, well, here's, here's a box with loads of bits in. Now, unlike some of the coaching franchises out there that will take every man and the dog as long as they're able to pay the franchise fee, mm. I was only targeting people that had run a business or failed a business and therefore they had the experience to go, that's experience you can pass on. The challenge I had was my business was so busy at that time and ThinkSmart had only just kicked off and I had that third business. So I was running three businesses. The sheer amount of time I needed to commit to that fourth business, not only in terms of getting the infrastructure right, you know, the T's and C's, the prospectus, the pricing model, the marketing, but it's also bringing franchisees on board needed a disproportionate amount of my time in terms of training to make sure we we looked after the brand mm. and I just realized despite spending probably just short of 25 grand in time and money in terms of legal documentation and marketing that I just didn't have the time to commit to making it a success. Yeah. So it, it was that time I went, Do you know what, I either need to draw a line under this and, and take it as a 25 grand um, piece of training <laughs> or I continue to throw good money after bad and potentially lose even more money and I, and I, and I made the form knowing decision. when to stop yeah well, I wanted to get your view on something actually so because you, you talk about that that 3% that will work past 5 o'clock will go the extra mile and I think if I look on LinkedIn sometimes I think there's there's a bit of a revolt against that against going you know above five, working longer than five o'clock and working longer hours and but you shouldn't have to do that mm-hmm. etc where do you sit on that because because there is a school of thought of yeah. around that maintaining work-life balance but there is a school of thought that if you want to get ahead you need to mm-hmm. be ahead of other people and work hard on other people yeah great question again um i i sit on both sides of the, i get the whole you shouldn't have to work well five o'clock now obviously an employee is different to a business owner Mm. An employee shouldn't have to work past five o'clock. Yeah. Now, having said that, the client I've been with this morning, they're a heavily sales-driven organization. And their bonus structure was one that capped their bonus. So when everybody hit bonus, everybody down tools yeah, and tools. went home. And that's fine. So what he's done is he's replaced that existing bonus structure with an uncapped bonus structure and said, you want to go home at five o'clock? You crack on. I've got mm. no problems at all if you want to go home at five o'clock. However, if you want to treble your salary this month, 
you've got an opportunity to earn more money. Mm. You decide how you want to do that. So yeah. from an employer point of view, I think we should be advocating people not working any more hours than the contracted from a, a lifestyle point of view. And a, you know, that's old school, that whole work while, you know, yeah. seven, eight at night, whatever. However, some people will do that because I think those people that will do that are ultimately the ones that will earn the more commission, that will be first place when promotions are up, that will maybe ultimately leave and run their own business. Those three mm. percenters will not go home at five o'clock. Mm. Mm. Now, when I'm talking about me working with business owners, I'm a massive advocate of not working longer hours than you want to. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between doing it because you have to and doing it because you choose to. Yeah. So the guy I was with yesterday where we we're chatting about 3%, 97%, he's made a decision three years ago when he started that business that he's going to commit three to five years of his life working a lot of hours mm -hmm. and, and making a lot of compromises and sacrifices to build a successful business that gives him and his future, uh, him and his family a future. Now, it was working this weekend. Now, I've been away this weekend. There was I was at the Dutch Grand Prix. Nice. was meant cool. to be coming with us and on the eve of us flying on Thursday he rang me up and said I can't justify taking time off work it's going to send the wrong message to my team it's the busiest time of the year I'm sorry I'm going to have to not go and whereas I was disappointed he wasn't going from a from a mentor mentee point of view I absolutely understood his credit because he said I've got to lead by example mm. now he will work the hours needed he was texting me on Sunday going here I am in work doing my emails blah 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 while we're sat at the racetrack waiting for the race to start. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a, a little bit of banter on it, mm. but he said, I'm, I need to do what I need to do. But in a year, two, three years time, I'm going to be free from that because somebody's going to make me an offer I can't refuse. I'm not going to have to worry about it. So I think with an entrepreneur, sometimes you need to work the hours that you need to work, but you, it's about creating choice and freedom. If you're having to work every night, every bank holiday, every weekend, and miss time with your kids, your family, whatever, mm. and you and you have to do that, you're building the wrong business. It's good. However, you know, you asked me earlier about travel. Mm. I've been abroad six times this year, and every time, I, so I've just been to Cyprus for ten days. Yeah, I went with an empty inbox. I came back with an empty inbox mm. because my team just manage everything. So I'm fortunate enough I'm in a position where I can do that because I've got the team in place. So I don't have to worry about emails and dealing with things because my team deal with them. Yeah. So I can relax and... For, for the business owners that you work with, how important, before you arrive, how important is succession planning and building a team around them that they can kind of hand work over to? Is that is that top of the priority or is it not until you get there? It's not. It's often not top of their priority, and the reason it's often not top of their priority, they know that they need to do that, but they can't afford to do that. Most of those small business owners, because they're not selling, going mm. back to the point earlier, they're not selling, they're not great at selling, they're, they're shy away from selling. They're often not good at pricing, so when they do sell, they're often not selling it at the price they want. Mm. They're not retaining clients because the processes don't look after those clients, so clients come and go. So what you've got is a scenario where you've got what I call a technician business owner, so they're, they're doing what they're trained in. So they're a photographer. Yeah. They're, they're building a photography business. They're a web designer trained and they're building a web business. Mm. So they're very good technicians, but they're not very good salespeople. And of course, what you've got to do is you've got to build, you know, you need an office, you need people, systems, software, subscriptions, mm. all those come at a cost. So what tends to happen with the majority of those business owners is they're not generating enough profit each month to be able to invest in that succession plan, to to hire that killer salesperson, to hire that next web developer. Mm. So they're in this constant trap of knowing they need the person that will take time off their diary to free them up so they mm. can not work weekends, but they can't afford that person yeah. because they're not selling and yeah, yeah. retaining. Yeah. So it becomes this vicious circle. And you break that circle by getting ahead in terms of sales and yeah, so, so so my job when I go in there is just to just again spend a lot of time listening and 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 pair back and go right. Where are the bottlenecks? Where are the frustrations? So a bit like and and again I get this from prospective clients. So you're talking earlier about listening. I will have an hour's meeting with a prospective client, and I'll ask them a couple of clever questions at the beginning, and I'll sit back and say right, just chat away. And I might ask them a prompt question every ten minutes, but I'll get fifty minutes into a one-hour prospect meeting. And they'll go, you've not spoken yet. 
like it's I feel like it's just me talking <laughs> and I go, you carry on I'm learning I'm listening yeah. but what they've done in 50 minutes is they've shared with me all the problems all the frustrations how they're manifesting themselves yeah. where it's broken it's really like a <clears throat> it's just that fresh eyes thing isn't it because probably a lot of a lot of the things that you tell them to do they'll be like oh yeah it's like so obvious mm. that you, when you say that but they're what do you say at the call first the coalface, they're yeah. in the thick of it mm. and it's kind of difficult to really see what mistakes that you might be making but I'm as a marketer, you said marketeer earlier. Oh, yeah, sorry, I know. I'm just an x ray. You are? Just an x ray. Yeah, I don't like it, mate. <laughs> it's enough easy. Um, as a marketer, I'm interested to get into the sort of marketing aspect of of what you do. Um, so, like, because I think for like nowadays, marketing, it's, it's quite trendy, actually. And a lot of people, they want to work in marketing, a lot of companies want to do marketing especially like in a, in a in a in a space like linkedin where it's very personal brand and everyone's trying to show off what they do and how they do it as opposed to back in the day where it was it was pretty much like you've got a nice logo you've got a, a leaflets. nice little leaflets and brochures leaflets and brochures and that yeah. sort of thing cake decorating yeah cake decorating yeah that, that's um, cool so how what what t- tell me how you approach marketing with the, with a client and like how you know what what's what would be like a, the go-to like right these are the things that a lot of people are, are not doing right and they're missing um you know can you sort of unpack that a little bit yeah well i think there's an irony here you know i, I work with a number of marketing agencies a number of web agencies it's one of the kind of core sectors i work with and the irony is that when i go to a marketing agency and go tell me why i should buy from you and not these other marketing agencies i, I mean leads is this what is it, four and a half thousand um, you know, kind of web and marketing businesses in Leeds. So I, I go to, oh no, go, why should why should I, as a customer, why should I buy from you and, and none of these other four and a half thousand? What's your proposition? What's your, your unique selling point? And then mumble for 15 minutes. And I go, there's an irony that you can articulate your <laughs> proposition when yeah. your sole job is to help your clients articulate their proposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and so it's, it's, I don't know, is, is it disingenuous? I don't know. So, so for me, I think, I think, you know, you mentioned there, there's so many marketers. It's become trendy. It's become fabby. I you appreciate know, you, you, using you, the correct term. You know, <laughs> I, I did. I did you think before. I did, I did, yeah, I did yeah. just to make sure I get you it right. Audience. Well, it depends who I'm, I'm addressing. <laughs> right. um, but you know, every man and the dog's a branding expert. Every man and the dog's a social media expert. There's so many AI experts now. Yeah, you know? mm. I think I saw a link yesterday how I made my first million using AI, mm. and I just <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just so everybody jumps on the bandwagon. What happens is these people come and go because actually they don't have the core credibility and capability. Marketing's really simple to me. Now, I'm not a marketeer, but I market my business and I work with my clients to market their business using what I've learned. Now, in the marketing business, Claire, I work with, my business partner, she's a fellow of the Chartered Institute. She's forgotten more about marketing than most will care. So when they need pure 101 marketing, we wheel Claire in and she does an amazing mm-hmm. job. She's fantastic. There's, there's, there's what Claire would call a number of superheroes in marketing. We call them superheroes. So the first one is awareness. How do you make people that don't know that you exist know that you exist? How do you raise awareness of your your business, your brand, your yourself? Once you've raised that, now now that can be it differs for every business, doesn't it? Yeah. Is it networking? Is it on LinkedIn? Is it is it doing a podcast? You know, there will be people downloading this that that have never heard of me. Mm. So why am I sat here? Mm-hmm. Because my core purpose when I started the business was to help small business owners make better decisions. Mm. And if and if one person downloads this and listens to this and makes a different decision tomorrow i've ticked my purpose yeah but but of course there's gonna be people listening to this that go i've never heard of gary king i've never heard of tendo yeah so it's it's raising awareness Mm -hmm. right so do what you say you're gonna do do what you know practice what you preach kind of thing so raise awareness then what you've got to do is you've got to get them interested yeah in you oh um i'm struggling a bit with my business i really could do with some help so they're interested in the concept so you've you've taken from awareness to potential interest. Mm. What you've then got to do, the third one is evaluate. Right, I'm thinking of picking the phone up to Gary. Let me just check out his testimonials. Let me look at his testimonial videos. Let me look at his creds. Let me look at his case studies. Let me chat to a few people he's worked with and see mm. whether this guy's a real deal mm. or whether he's spinning everybody a yarn. It's that evaluation piece. Yeah. Because gone are the gone are the times like twenty years ago when I when I was really at Mahede in sales. 
you get a prospective client into the boardroom and you spend the first 10 slides telling them how amazing your business was. Mm. Now they've checked you out before they've come anywhere yeah. near and they're either going to say, oh, I ain't bothering or they're rocking up knowing full well they've done their homework so you don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah. So you've, you've done that evaluation piece, then it's test drive. How do you get them to sample your product? Is it a download? Is it a free course? You know, everybody, everybody knows that if you test drive a car, you're more likely to buy it. Mm. It's the it's the sample of cheese at the end of the aisle in the supermarket that they're dishing out, or the you walk around Starbucks and they give you the new summer drink that they just you try it, you're gonna you're gonna buy it, right? Mm. So you've gone awareness, interest, evaluation, test drive. Then you've got to onboard them as a client. So the fifth superior is onboarding. And then the sixth one, obviously, is kind of retention and repeat. Mm-hmm. But most business owners are not working in that um, uh, awareness and interest piece yes. because yeah. they don't understand it. Yeah. So they're not spending time connecting with people on LinkedIn, engaging with people, commenting other people's posts. They go to networking events and instead of, like when I go networking, I ring the guy who's running the networking event and say, just introduce me to the three people that you think I'm, I'm interested in chatting to. Mm. And there might be 70 people in the room. I don't want to be walking around aimlessly in a room full of Steve with his shiny suit and his dog-eared business card thinking, who is this guy? I want to I want to make an absolute beeline to the three people I've been told I need to chat to. Mm. And I go in, I chat to those three people, exchange details, and I'm out of there. Yeah. And there's six, seven people I've never spoken to. Great tip. I like that. Efficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah efficient use of time. How do you find LinkedIn as a, as a sales tool? Because I, I, I'll leave this podcast and I'll go back to my desk and I'll probably have two or three sales messages sat in my LinkedIn inbox. So how do you cut through that kind of noise? Look, I get I get 10 DMs a day with people trying to sell me stuff. And yeah. sometimes it's, hi, Gary. Sometimes it's, hi, dot, dot, dot. So yeah, I've yeah. to change my name to dot, 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 Gary. So I know that when AI <laughs> picks my name up, yeah, it goes, hi, dot, 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 Gary. So I know that's AI. Yeah. Um, so I just I just delete those. I don't. Yeah. Even, I used to respond to them and say, "You're obviously not very good at sales. You need help with your sales strategy. Let's book a discovery call." Yeah, needs to get all arsy with me. <laughs> Flip the script. Yeah, well, of course you do, right? Yeah. And then I just I got fed up with it because it was just like the cat toying with a you know mm. um, with the mouse, yeah, with a, with a mouse. So I just delete those now. LinkedIn, if used correctly, is an incredible, powerful tool mm. to raise awareness of your brand and to generate interest. And I get. 15 to 20% of my business from LinkedIn. And what I get, so the guy that I was with yesterday has grown a 6 million turnover business in three years, which is incredible. I got a message from him 18 months ago. Right. Wasn't even connected to him. Hi, Gary. I've been following you for about three or four months. I've consumed all your content. It's like you're in my front room talking to me about my problems. Mm. Now, I, I kind of drink coffee like it's going out of fashion. I, I, I'm up there like... My accountant every month tells me, Gary, you've spent 350 quid this month in Starbucks. <laughs> 350 quid. Yeah. Now, that doesn't include Nero and Costa and all <laughs> Right, like I, I drink coffee. He said, I know you drink a lot of coffee. I don't do hot drinks. Let's have a cold drink together and chat about how you can work for business. He'd never even connected with me. I didn't even know this guy existed. Mm. He's been consuming my content. Mm. The problem is people don't put content out mm. often enough. Yeah, You know, they're putting out, oh, I'll, I'll post on a Friday. I post twice a day every day. Mm. And some people go, well, that's a lot of content, Gary. I'm sick of seeing your content. Well, all right, you're not the right client for me. Mm. Yeah. But how do I know that somebody that logs on at 7 a.m., if I put a piece of content out at 5 p.m., they're not going to see it. So, yeah. so if I put some out in the morning and an afternoon, there's a higher chance they're going to see it. Yeah, yeah totally. If I post five days a week, there's a higher chance they're going to see it. Yeah. So as, an, as a tool to raise awareness and build your brand and connect with your audience, yeah. there's none better. The problem is, however, not to be vanilla. If I push out the same turgid content that every other coach and mentor in the country pushes out, yeah. guess what? I'm not going to stand out. Stand the out, yeah, totally. And you know, whether it's a marketing agency or a branding agency or a social media, all I see is the same messages with the same pictures, mm-hmm. spouting the same call to actions, mm-hmm. and nothing stands out. Now I'm a bit left field. I'll, you know, I'll I'll say to somebody, "Baby's ugly." Mm-hmm. That's not a very good approach. You shouldn't be doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I put a post out in the middle of lockdown called COVID didn't kill your business. You did. Nice. <laughs> you would think I'd stolen somebody's baby. Yeah. I got a backlash and a half. Yeah. I got people saying all sorts of nasty things, both on the post and in my DMs. Yeah, yeah. I got people saying, we'll never work with you. But great. Thank you for filtering yourself out of my funnel. Yeah. yeah. And then got people going, 
actually I get your point that it's, it's a lack of a plan why my business has failed nothing to do with covid covid's just the thing that's got in the way mm. uh, i do need a plan actually i came out of covid in a lot better position in terms of the types of clients I was working with because that that single piece of content resonated with the target audience yeah. and it filtered out all of those that it didn't resonate with yeah, yeah, yeah. so i'm not suggesting you get that provocative but if you're pushing out vanilla content, you're going to attract nobody because you just you're, you're in a beauty parade with everybody else in mm. your market. Yeah, and and you know we shouldn't want to be liked by everybody. Agreed. Because actually, I don't like everybody, so I don't want everybody to like me. What the people that I want to like me is the people that resonate with me, that are pl- likely to work with me, that are yeah. going to work with me over a long time. Max is loving this, isn't he? Look at this. <laughs> Look at the smile on your Max face. Max didn't want to right? He loves this. But I'm, uh, yeah, because, <laughs> you know, if it was up to me, that's how it'd be, right? And we've, yeah. we've, we've done the same here where I've tried to push people beyond those comfort zones and f- something like you said, which resonates with me and I think it's really important. It's like r- this distinction between marketing is not about chasing after it's about attracting people towards you so to have people you know see your content resonate and then and pass all of those sort of um tests that you listed earlier the valuation etc etc like that's key because messages into your inbox like if if you're doing it at such a volume and a scale then yeah of course it's going to work right because it's a numbers game but most of us and most businesses are not operating at that scale mm. and don't have an audience of that size so that's not going to work anywhere and I actually got um, just an intre- a funny little thing about the inbox thing someone sent me one and they clearly had it written by ChatGPT mm-hmm. because when you get a, a, a response from ChatGPT it'll usually go yeah sure I'll help you with blah 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 <laughs> and he forgot to remove that from the message so the message started with yeah sure here's a concise way to tell people about <laughs> Uh, your Photoshop um, um, skills or whatever, and then the list of skills. So yeah, it's it, you're totally right on what you said. I think the problem is, is, and it's that ninety-seven three percent thing. A lot of people, they just will become overwhelmed. You know, even us, like we've gone through, we go through periods of several months where we're posting content every single day, and then life comes along, business problems come along, and you have to refocus your attention on those things. So even you, do you go through periods where it's like, I just haven't been able to post this week. Do you beat yourself up about it? Do you just, do you just crack on? I, I beat myself up, but I don't post. I was, I was with a client yesterday who was not posting often enough on social media. And I actually did a bit of a LinkedIn 101 with him yesterday to show him how to use it. There's a scheduling tool in LinkedIn now. Yeah, there is. So he said, well, I, you know, I'm going to sit down and dedicate every Friday now. And I showed him how to use the scheduling tool so he could actually, on a Friday, he could he could put content up that will post Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And he's going, the pennies dropped. Why you spend so much time on it, right? Yeah. Here's the thing, right? So to, I'll, I'll give an example this week. You know, uh, a young lady sends me a connection request. Uh, she runs a, um, or she works for a web agency. So I just connect because I just connect with these people because you mm-hmm. just never know, never do you? You, know, yeah. you never know who connects. With. Then then I get what is obviously a, a scripted AI message yeah. that says, hi, Gary, we can uh, we can do an audit of your website. We'll give you this free audit report. La, 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 la. Thought, do you know what? My website actually needs a bit of an update. I'll, 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 I'll humour her. So I said, look, these. Now she said, like, what's your web address? So it's in my contact information. But do you know what? Nevertheless, it's this address and this address. Um, she said, great. Would you be able to have a conversation with our MD next week, where he'll talk you through all the improvements that can be made on your websites? So I think it's a really bad form of marketing to say this is not working. We can fix it for you. I think that's really poor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But anyway, so I humoured her. So I said, look, I can't do next week because I'm busy. I can potentially do the week after. Not heard anything from her for a week. This morning, uh, at some ungodly hour, I got hi dot dot dot. We'd be happy to look at your website. Da, 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 da. Uh, yeah. So it was the same message that I got originally. Yeah. So I just sent her five laughing emojis because yeah. it was clear, mm. you know. So then I got a, oh, she shouldn't have got that message, Gary. Would you be free later this <laughs> week or next week to talk to RMD about? So. They're using AI, but because they're not marketeers, they don't know how to use it. Yeah. Now, I've picked up probably one of the most successful clients I've got, and the be- successful in terms of their business and successful in terms of my business, using AI. Mm. But but I did it differently to everybody else. Everybody, what everybody else does is they send AI messages to an audience that they're not connected to. Yeah. Go, hi, we'd love to connect. So, you know, And there's all this, we can look at your page, then we can send a message, and then two days later we send another message, and it's all... Hi, dot, dot, dot. 
I'm like, no, no, that's not the way you do it. I, at that time, I had 12,000 LinkedIn connections. Now, I don't speak to those 12,000 most of the time. So I, I hooked it up to an AI tool and I simply said, hi, whoever the name is, yeah. Sean. Hi, Sean. Uh, I'm really sorry. So I started by apologizing. So they almost feel indebted, right? So it's a choice of language. If, they, if I'm starting with, I'm sorry, they go, oh, don't worry about it. Mm. Like you don't need to. So you're almost building like an empathy. And yeah. I'm really sorry I've not been in touch for a while. Yeah. How are things going at your end? Mm. Just simple as that. And I said, right, send it out to the, so you can obviously, you can set your avatar, can't you? And you can upload that into the ITIL and say, send it to everybody in my 12,000 that meet that criteria. Yeah, yeah. Now I had a conversation with this guy about five or six years ago about working together and it never happened. Just the timing wasn't right. But he was running a very, what was a very successful business. And I got, within two days, I got a direct message back from him. Hi, Gary. Um, not, now, I was connected to this guy on Facebook. Mm. We say hi occasionally, but I've not had the conversation on LinkedIn. So it had always been personal rather than business. So obviously it looked like a personal message because it was hi, not spoke for, I'm really sorry we've not spoken for a while. How, how are things at your end? Mm. I got a DM back from him going, hi, uh, Gary, I've just re-looked at your profile. Uh, I know we haven't spoken business-wise for ages. It's probably about time you come in and have a coffee. Mm. Nice. Simple as I like that. that. Right? Yeah. But everybody else is chasing contacts yeah. that they don't have. And I'm going, well, I've got, at that point, I had 12,000. Why don't we just harvest those? Yeah. And you only need a couple, really, to come good, don't you? And then Well, he, he landed. We had a conversation. I started doing a piece of one-to-one with him. I then walked into the third one-to-one of three, and he downloaded my strategy template off my um, mm. website. Because mm. as part of the conversations, he shared with me, a bit like we were saying earlier, he had a business plan that was, you know, as thick as Mickey Mouse's mattress. Yeah not looked at it for nine months mm. it was a it was a brilliant piece of work but not looked at it he downloaded my single page planning template and he said gary talk to me about this it's genius mm. he said so you're telling me i can get everything that's in that document onto that single page that's agile dynamic it's like a sat nav for my business went, yeah um well can me and the rest of the board sit in a room with you and sort that out so that's what we did next nice and then he said right okay now i've got the plan um I need you to hold me to account. I need you to hold my feet to the flames every month, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, you know make sure it happens. Now, this weekend, he it, what he shared with me in those first three sessions. I'm going back nearly two years ago now. He's in my dream. So we're talking about work-life balance, right? This is my dream. There's a picture on his wall of a yacht. He said, "I want to do the clip around the world." yacht race it's yeah. 11 months yeah so i want to build i want you to help me build a business where i can be out of this business for 11 months i'm not gonna have a phone signal i'm gonna be in the middle of the atlantic i want you to help me build a business that will run without me for 11 months it sets sail on monday next week Bax's jealous look Bax is a sailor <laughs> well right? i are you don't like to talk to about it but yeah i don't think i'll be doing the clipper anytime soon but no that'll be amazing um and bear, bear in mind we've taken his business from Three and a half million turnover. We'll do eight million this year. Uh, sorry, and you just said within two weeks of that conversation, he, he was ready to set sail. No, that, that two years ago. Oh, two years picture, later. Two, yeah, yes. so he's setting sail this weekend. So two years said, ago, he's got the yacht on his wall saying, yeah. that is my dream, help yeah. me achieve my dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his dream wasn't, I want to take the odd weekend off without my phone ringing. His mm. dream was, I want, I want to take right. 11 months off. So that's like manifestations in a way. Mm. That's your, that's your back in it. He needed mm. the plan. He needed yeah. the accountability. He yeah. needed the support. He needed the succession. Love it. Tell me about the most expensive cup of coffee. I saw you posted about that a while back, which I liked. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a bit tongue in cheek because my content is like everybody goes for these prospect meetings, don't they? And, you know, you, you, you don't follow your process through. I, I get it all the time. I'm sure you guys do. Can I just pick your brains? Mm. I'd love to meet you for a coffee. And in the early days, you're thinking, oh, there's a potential customer here. Yeah. So you drive to places you shouldn't drive to. You, you do it in the middle of the day when it's taking four hours out of your diary. And I remember just rocking up to Starbucks in Leeds. I got there half an hour early. It was a 10 o'clock appointment. So I'd kind of set off at nine, got there at half nine, got there early because I don't like to be late. Mm. Paid for my parking. Uh, guy rocked up at 10 o'clock. Should have taken an hour. It probably took an hour and a half because I was listening, listening. I, never, I didn't have my sales process fully nailed at that time. And of course, you're chasing customers. So the meeting finished about half 11. Gets home at 12. So I've had three hours out of the office. 
uh, sent the guy a proposal. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, um, I'm I'm not in the market right now. Mm. I mean, what a waste of freaking time that is. Yeah. So what I started to do, and and it's as I've developed the process, and I've got a process that filters them out early on. They've got to fill a survey in. We do do a quick discovery call, and I don't care if they're they're in the house next door. So we're having a discovery call because I don't want to waste your time. Mm. Actually, I don't want to waste my time doing. I don't want to waste your time. If they then say, I want to pick your brains, as it happens, I go, well, that's no problems. I've got a what I call a sounding board call because I'm a sounding board, right? Mm. I'm that external set of ears and eyes. So what I do now is I say, if you want to pick my brains, here's a link to the sounding board call. Uh, and those that just want to pick my brains and, and, and you know, take the knowledge and do a runner, yeah. guess what? They don't, they don't book on that call, do they? Because they know that they're just after a freebie. Yeah, yeah. Those that genuinely say, I want to pick your brains and I really need your help, yeah. are going to look at that sounding board call and go, actually, it's worth that investment. Yeah, yeah. So it's not a free call? No. I don't. Yeah. So so that's people that are saying, I want to pick your brains. Yeah. Having, obviously, having a prospect meeting with yeah. somebody that's been, you know, they've taken them, they've gone through the filtering process and I know their roof's on fire and they need a fire engine. Yeah. Yeah, so I've, that that discovery call is all about identifying. Can you smell smoke? Can you see flames? Yeah. What's the impact? What happens if your building, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm using that as a metaphor. What happens if your building, um, you know, burns down? Right, okay, so you, you need a fire engine then. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, let's grab a coffee next week and I can chat to you about why I'm a great shiny red fire engine mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. the best fire engine for you yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But those people that go on and pick your brains, which is where that blog came from, I go, yeah. Now, at the time, I said, pick my brains for an hour. It's going to cost you 199 quid and I'll buy the coffee. So it was saying, it's a coffee, but it's 199 quid. <laughs> and actually, I got people going, well, actually, I'll value your time for an hour. Mm-hmm. I'll pay the 199 quid. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's fair. And you've got 30 years experience that you can harvest or albeit for an hour for 199 quid. It's but good you, value. But you know, if we sat here silent for an hour, it would be really awkward. It's a long time. Mm. So can I not impart two or three or four bits of wisdom in an hour by asking them some clever questions and listening that's going to give them more than that value. Mm. And actually, one one of the things that I hope differentiates me from my competition is 45,000 coaches, consultants and mentors in the UK. I think they're breeding somewhere in a, <laughs> in a corner of a room. Not helped by franchises, to be fair. But every man and the dog wants to get into because it's it's the latest fad, right? Yeah, I'll, yeah. Become, I'll become a business coach. Yeah. Um, I, and it doesn't matter whether somebody's paying me 10 grand a year, whether they're paying me a grand a year, or whether they're booking it. I don't think I've just put that, that sounding board call up to 300 quid. Um, I say to them, if you spend time with me on whatever program, and you take action, and you turn up to the sessions, you're fully engaged in the session. So there's a few caveats in terms of you've got to rock up to the session, you've got to take action, you've got to be present, turn your tech off, all that kind of stuff. And you take action and you don't feel you've got value for the time and money you've spent, I'll give you your money back. Money back guarantee. So if you spend an hour with me and it costs you 300 quid plus VAT and you don't feel that you've got 300 quid plus VAT of of value for the time and money you've spent, I'll give you your 300 quid back. Mm. Because actually, having a a strong reputation for, you know, I don't want people going around going, well, I ain't got value from Gary King. Mm. I spent 300 quid and I didn't get value. Yeah. I much prefer to go, well, you didn't take action, actually. Um, so, And there's a couple of people I said, look, you haven't taken action, so I, I can't be held responsible. So if you want to go shouting from the rooftops, mm. guess what? I better want to say, well, that's where the problem lies. So mm. be careful who you're pointing the finger at. Mm. However, if you've taken action and you've turned up on time and you've been present and you've not got value, I'll give you money back. Because what you then do is you turn them from a detractor into an advocate. Mm. So they don't go, oh, I spent all this money with Gary and didn't get value. They go, well... Yeah, I know of Gary and he seems a great enough guy, mm. but because I've given them the money back, now, you know, I think that's happened on two occasions in 13 years. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it was more about, I didn't want to get into an argument with somebody. Mm. It's not worth it. For the sake of a couple of quid, I thought, do you know what, there you go. Yeah. And you actually build an advocate rather than having a detractor. Uh, and what do you mean by break it and rebuild it? I see that reference on your website as your kind of mantra. What's that mean? This, Yeah, good point. So this is a very, very wise man that I work for in corporate called Ray Brassington. Love Ray to bits. Very, very wise man. And what he said is, you know the old adage, if it's not broken, don't, don't break it. it. Yeah. Don't break uh, If it's not broken, um, uh, don't break it. And he said the opposite. He said, if it's, if it's not broken, break it. And basically what he meant by that is, 
when things are going really, really well in a business, they can't continue forever. They mm. just can't in, 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 in 99% of businesses. At some point, something's going to derail you. Yeah. Um, something's going to happen, you know, whether it be COVID or Brexit or cost of living crisis or whatever. There's a thousand reasons that it can derail you. When things are going really, really well, what happens is business owners get complacent, they get a little bit lazy. Mm. They take the, 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 you know, the foot off the pulse. They're, yeah. they're asleep at the wheel. Pick whichever metaphor you want. So what I'm an advocate of is when things are going really, really well, you've got to get, if you can imagine like an S-curve, you want to get to just as you're on that up before it starts to plateau out yeah. and then tail off, yeah. right? Just so you get to, and, and it, the bit is knowing when that is. Yeah. You can see the numbers start to slow down. You can see the market start to slow down. At that point, you've got that potential where you're going to go over the top of the S and you're going to be on a decline. You don't want that because as soon as you're on a slippery, slippery slope, it's difficult to get that back. Yeah. Mm. So what, what Ray was advocating and what I advocate is that when you're at the top of that curve, that's the time to kind of go, right, let's just take a step back. Let's look at where we can break this, rebuild it a little bit, and then kick on for the next. Mm. So you back on the bottom of that S curve on the up. So all the good businesses are ones that go. So for example, I've got a guy that's in solar panels at the moment. He was an electrical contractor working in hospitals on turnkey projects. He was getting paid on 120 days. Mm. Um, a 90% of his business was was with one client, so it was risky. Yep. And as we went into COVID, all of those projects started to slow down, uh, stop actually, because obviously you couldn't go on site, you mm-hmm. couldn't go into hospitals, all of that kind of stuff. So it, it, it put his business into some difficulty. So what we did is we, we broke it and we said, well, electrical contractors can pretty much wire anything. Uh, there's a big push now because of the energy bills going up. There's a big push for people to consider solar panels. There's a massive increase in the number of electric cars. So people wanted electric mm-hmm. vehicle chargers. Mm-hmm. So we said, why don't we just flip what we're doing and offer a different solution to a different customer base? We don't want all of our eggs in one basket in terms of one customer. We don't want to be on a 120-day payment terms because that's killing you. You know, yeah. not knowing when you're going to get, you know, you've got to fork out wages and that's rent and you're getting paid in four months. Yeah. So we flipped his business onto solar panels and electric vehicle chargers using the same skills, the same people, just different bits with different customers. Mm. Um, we get paid a third on confirmation of order. We get paid a third before we start the job. <laughs> And before we finish the job, we've got to commission it at the end. Almost the bit that says, right, press the go button. We're in the client say, we're commissioning today. We can't we can't complete commission until you've paid the third instalment. Mm. So there's never a scenario when we walk off site mm. from Mr. and Mrs. Smith's house that we don't have all the money in the bank. Yeah. So we're cash positive. Uh, we've trebled the business in the last three years. Trebled it. We haven't increased the overheads. So if you can imagine, we've trebled the turnover mm. with the same overheads. So the profit is through the roof. And instead of having 90% of our business with one customer, we've got hundreds of customers. Is it still doing the solar panels as well then? Well, it's stopped doing the commercial stuff largely yeah. because yeah. it's you know it's just as profitable doing the solar panels. Yeah. And his, his team is saying, I don't want to go down to Southampton for three mm. months. Mm. I Actually, I want to see my wife and kids occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. So by doing a solar, and he only, only works within a, a 30 minute radius of HQ. So the, the furthest away his team are is 30 minutes so they can get home on a night, they can see the wife and kids. Now, don't get me wrong, there's some people that probably don't like the wife and kids, so they will, <laughs> can, can you find me a job in Southampton? Uh, but that's a different... But So that's the thing is break it, you know, break it before it, it breaks. breaks itself. Yeah. So you're in control, not the business model in control. Yeah, yeah. Like it, like it. That's solid. Right, time break, for the... Break it and rebuild it. Break it and rebuild it. Cool. Yeah, like that. Yeah. We'll take that. Um, so the the podcast is called Tomorrow's Workplace Today. So we, we ask all guests to cast their mind forward 10 years and describe the workplace of 10 years' time. So Is this like business coaching? Yeah, you're in yes. your world. Well, I guess the, the clients you work with, what, what do you think will be different in 10 years' time in the workplace than what it is today? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, through the years we've seen evolution. In, in terms of how businesses have improved with systems, with processes, with people. I, I think ultimately the business of the future, and I, I don't want to get into specifics around businesses that might be focused on AI or all, that's another debate for another day, but the, the, the most businesses in 10 years' time will be more systemized, more process-driven, 
and they'll have fewer people being more effective to deliver better results. And I think, you know, businesses that are employing 10 people now will employ five people in 10 years' time. Mm. And they'll be doing the same turnover, if not more. Because if I take an accountant as an example, you know, bookkeeping and tax returns, it's not beyond the wit of man in three to five years mm. that AI is doing bookkeeping and, and yeah. tax returns. So all of a sudden, I'm, a, I'm an accountant. Now, whether I choose to get on the AI bandwagon and offer bookkeeping and tax returns to my clients, but it's just delivered via yeah. technology rather than Maureen in the corner, or whether I decide, you know what, it's a, it's a commodity product is that I don't want to offer a commodity product. I want to offer a value-add product. Mm. But I think the businesses in the future will use tech, will use systems, and they will, they will have fewer people doing um, more work more effectively. We like that answer, don't we? We like that's that a answer. Solid answer, yeah. Yeah, I've seen your eyes lighting. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's spot on. Um, but I think if I can just add to that, you know, one of, one of the mantras is, you know, it, it's about having the choice and freedom to to work where you want, when you want, if you want. That's mm. a mantra for me. So, yeah. you know, I'm I'm going to be spending two months next summer in Cyprus. So I've just been to Cyprus. I've fallen in love with it. Yeah. I found an Airbnb for less than my rent here. Mm. a quarter of a mile from the beach you're just going to work from there I'm going to work from there so Brilliant. I'm going to get up in the morning I'm going to do a couple of Zoom calls with a couple of clients yeah. and I'm going to shut my Mac down and go to the beach because oh, I'll life. be able to yeah. and I advocate the same with clients you know there's nothing to stop you whether you're running an accountancy business a web agency a recruitment business work work from where you want when you want if you want and then you know you're running the right business mm. but if you're trapped in your office in 10 years time you're doing something fundamentally wrong and I noticed you're saying something beyond the wit of man. I've not, I've not heard this. You know, no. It's just well, I like it. Yeah. Beyond the wit of man. Beyond the wit of man. It's not beyond the wit. Of man. Basically, what it means is you don't, you don't need a PhD to do it. Right. You know, okay. You, you just need a modicum of intelligence. Yeah. And to use your bit earlier, that little bit of gumption and and fire in your belly to see it yeah. through. Whereas a lot of people go. Do you know what? I can see the imposter syndrome kicking in. Yeah. I can see the self talk Yeah. So most people won't go for it because yeah, yeah. they want to stay in the comfort zone. Yeah, totally. And and you know whether you're an employee or people want to stay in the comfort zone because it's comfortable, right? But we've got to get uncomfortable being uncomfortable. But those that get uncomfortable being uncomfortable are those three percent. Like some of the examples I've used today, you know, yeah. the guy selling his, um, you know, his his business, the guy going on a boat, the yeah. guy. You know that that that's that you know that that's got the great turnover. Those people that want to put themselves out of the comfort zone and take risks, take calculated risks, are the ones that will get results. The guy that's going to Cyprus for two yeah. months as well. This is what you get for doing yeah. it. I love it. it. All right. Gary, I could sit here and talk to you all day, but you're a busy man. So thank you very much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure to have you. No, thank you, thank you, absolutely. Yeah, My pleasure. Agreed. Uh, and, and also, can, can we just say the the mic? skill yeah was on point he's, he's done this before and yeah he knows. just literally even better than me king speech yeah like, yeah proper king speech brilliant yeah spot on really good thank you for that oh, my pleasure. Yeah.